Hey listeners, welcome back to Topics with Tim, Next Level Health, and this is Sports Friday. Yes, please. So let's just let's get right into it, baby. Gotta love the sports. Today was an amazing week of sports because the NBA actually had relevant games, which we've gone probably at least a month and a half where the NBA has had basically zero relevant games. And that is my biggest problem with the NBA. They, for this stretch, this month and a half before the end of the season, it's just the games are trash. There's blowouts. Half the league is tanking. Half the league is resting people anyway because they're just trying to, they've already got their seeds locked up. And of course, this time, you know, there was a little bit more intrigue towards the end of the year because there were some teams fighting for better positioning within this play-in type schedule. And so we finally saw our first ever play-in games. And honestly, kind of a mixed bag. So the first game we had was the Charlotte Hornets and the Indiana Pacers. That game was a complete blowout. The Pacers absolutely demolished them by 30-plus points. So I was a bit surprised to see that. I thought that would be a lot more a more competitive game considering it's just a one game. Hey, Charlotte, you know, you're obviously not as good as the Pacers, but shoot, you know, like it's just one game. That's all you got to do is play one game. They got absolutely whooped. Then we had Boston and Washington, and kind of a similar thing. Close for most of the game, Boston took over down the stretch, got a big lead. Jason Tatum obviously was massive in that game, scored 50 points, 17 of 17 from the line, was just getting anything he wanted. He was also guarding Russell Westbrook and completely shutting Westbrook down. Westbrook was terrible in this game. Another poor, poor playoff performance for Russell Westbrook, who I talked about on the last pod that I've kind of had some issues with him just in terms of where he puts his effort. And yes, he has all the stats, and yes, he has all the triple doubles, but where are the wins? Where are the championships? They're not there, right? And it's not like he hasn't played with good people. Played with James Harden. Played with Kevin Durant. Played with James Harden twice, actually. Played with him when James Harden was on the Thunder and played with him when he was on the Rockets. Where's your titles? Where's your championships? Nothing. Nothing. He puts his effort in the wrong places. That's what I think. So, again, another poor, poor game for him. But Washington was not, you know, they still had a chance. On the other side of the bracket, we had Memphis. We had San Antonio. Again, another terrible game, really. Well, I, okay, you know what? Scratch that. It was actually a pretty decent game. Some of the Spurs players were terrible. DeMar DeRozan was terrible, 1 for 11. Jante Murray was terrible, 4 for 17. It did actually go down to the wire, so I will say that was actually a decent game. However, it was one of those games where, like, yeah, it went down to the wire, so you could say it was an interesting game, but if you watched it, you were kind of bored. I feel like games can still be close, and you think, oh, that's a good game, but when you watched it, you were just, I don't know, just there wasn't, the intrigue wasn't really there. It was kind of boring. That was kind of one of those games. Then we had finally the game that everybody was looking forward to. And that was the Lakers and Golden State. Now, before I get into this game, I just want to say, I should have said this earlier. So I am going to be doing NBA, giving you guys an update there. Then I'm going to be doing my power rankings, my other 10, my next 10 teams on my NFL power rankings. So just make sure to stay tuned for that. Forgot to mention that at the beginning. So Lakers-Golden State, this was a fantastic game. I had the privilege of watching this with two of my best buddies after my buddy, we celebrated my buddy's birthday. Shout out to you, Roy and Roniel. Great game. Exciting all the way through. 
just it's so intriguing to watch, you know, all the doubling on Curry and how he had to pass out of that. And then you saw Draymond become a facilitator, which is kind of what happens whenever you play the Warriors. You know, typically, you double Curry and then you give it to Draymond and then Draymond just facilitates getting the ball to three point shooters and cutters. And that's why he always ends up with eight to 15 assists per game. It's because the Curry effect. And as soon as Curry left the floor, the Warriors were toast. And I think that was the main problem in this game was Curry was exhausted by the end. You could tell. He was gassed. And he was gassed because they couldn't leave him out of the game. Because the moment he was out of the game, no one else would step up. No one became a playmaker. Everyone became very, very passive. And just you just saw the lack of playmaking ability from anybody else on that squad because obviously they don't have Clay Thompson. Draymond Green can only do so much. Obviously, they're just going to back off him a ton if he has the ball. And again, he's really only a good facilitator when he can play four on three, when there's two guys on Curry, when it's just him trying to initiate by himself. Again, defenses just play way back on him because he can't shoot. Not a whole lot you can do 5v5 when they're just backing up on you and you can't shoot. Right, just not nearly. Really, Draymond Green is only really effective because Curry is so dominant and draws two defenders on each play. That's what makes Draymond Green Draymond Green. He needs Curry. So anytime they take Curry out, they immediately lose their lead. So Curry was gassed at the end of the game. You could tell, and they had a chance. Obviously, we saw the crazy three from LeBron. Right, we saw again next possession. The Warriors got an open three. Missed it. That was, I think to me, that was the defining play. Was they had a chance to answer. They actually had a good play. I think it was Jordan Poole who took the three. Missed it. And it's just like, dang. There it there was. You had your chance. You had your open shot. Jordan Poole just wasn't really ready for the moment. Not a guy who's seen a lot of playoff experience. But they got an open look. They got an open shot. And they missed it. And that's, I knew the game was over at that point. I knew because the Lakers, again, had another chance to score. And even if they didn't score, which they didn't, there was such little time on the clock for the Warriors to actually get a decent shot off. And, you know, Steve Kerr obviously could have called a timeout right away, chose not to. That's looking like a bad decision. He probably should have called that timeout right away to give them a little bit of chance to run actual play because they essentially had about two seconds left. So they had to run a play, and they tried to get the ball to Curry because it's only two seconds. They got to get him the ball immediately. Whereas if they had had more time, if Kerr had called the timeout sooner, maybe they have five to six seconds, they can actually inbound it to someone else and then allow Curry to get free and then get the ball. So because there was only two seconds, they drew up a play where they tried to run a couple double screens for Curry where he you know ran out from the paint. But good defense, and they kind of knew that obviously they're going to try to go to Curry. Ball got deflected, game over. So kind of Kerr's fault in that one for not calling a timeout sooner so that way they could actually set up a real play and have a few more seconds to, you know, because of course, you know, you're going to double Curry. They're going to try to inbound to him. It was obvious what they're going to do. So I don't know if that, that play wasn't that, that draw that whatever Kerr drew up to get the inbound was, wasn't really spectacular or at least wasn't executed well because Curry was nearly a good ball. They lost the game. So really just overall, a really amazing game. Just the back and forth between LeBron and Curry towards the end was, was just so phenomenal just seeing Curry keep them in the game dropping these dropping these amazing threes or he you know he's so good even just getting layups where he'll he'll kiss the ball off the top part of the glass especially if he sees a big man running at him he can just easily 
get the ball over him for beautiful layups. And, you know, I just wish that the Warriors had someone else who could step up and play make. Because, again, you saw as soon as Curry left, they all shied away. They all did that thing you see where they sort of half drive in and then kick it out and then half drive in and then kick it out because no one is really committed or or believes in themselves enough to, you know, take it to the cup and draw try to draw contact or or try to suck up a few more defenders by driving in close before kicking it out. You know, everyone was just the moment was too big for a lot of these guys and no one was able to really make a play. So obviously bummed to see I was definitely rooting for the Warriors, but obviously LeBron hitting that three, that was just insane. Just an amazing clutch shot by LeBron. Can't hate it. I think he definitely played up the whole being poked in the eye thing. He, I think he's got a big ego and a big sort of him wanting to be Michael Jordan complex. I thought he completely played that up. Oh, I'm seeing three rims. Give me a break, dude. Like You were fine. You made a show of it. You're an actor. You tried to sell the flagrant. By acting all, you know, like you had been killed or something or whatever. They obviously, the ref saw through your, your, your acting and your faking and called it a common foul, which was a great call because, again, it wasn't, was not a flagrant foul. And then he proceeded to, you know, make it look like he was in such disarray and pain. And then I need to go on the sideline and get eye drops because I, oh my gosh, my poor eyes. And oh, I was seeing through. It's like, I think he has this ego complex. He's trying to be Jordan. He's trying to play up this moment that it was something spectacular nah dude it was everyone saw through it the fans were booing everyone at home was probably thinking the same thing dude this guy's a baby this guy's literally acting and playing it up this is LeBron James this is what he does he's an actor he flops we're all well aware of this at this point and he is who he is so but obviously the shot was amazing can't hit the shot so obviously you know, Memphis won and Golden State won, so they'll be playing tomorrow because I'm recording this on Thursday night. Then we had today, I watched the Indiana and the Washington game and another blowout, another blowout, massive blowout. Washington just dominated from really from start to finish. In the second quarter, they really started to take over and they never looked back. Really surprised to see just the Pacers you know, I wasn't surprised their offense was a little choppy. Obviously, no Karis LeVert, playing with a lot of backup guys I saw. But their defense was really, really bad. Even just the effort level, especially towards the you know third and fourth quarter, you'd see you know Beal taking the ball up. He'd get a screen from Gafford at the, at the top of the three-point line, and no one would come out and show on Beal just to put even a little bit of pressure on him. For, and he just was nailing these open threes because there was literally no one coming to try to run him off the line. And it's freaking Bradley Beal. We know the dude can shoot. So you need to run him off the line and get him driving to the paint. But the effort level just wasn't there. They had kind of already thrown in the towel by the third quarter. So really, that was the biggest disappointment was just the defense from the Pacers. Just a lot of a lot of open threes for the Wizards. A lot of them. And, of course, they hit him because the more open your three is, the more likely you're going to hit him. So they went off three-pointer-wise. And then on the other side, just watching, you know, Malcolm Brogdon clank floater after floater off the front rim, seeing Sabonis keep trying these turnaround fadeaways that he'd clank off the front rim. I don't know. It just obviously Brogdon was hampered by the injury. He obviously didn't shoot the ball well. He was struggling. 
just uh, defensively he was struggling. Westbrook was kind of manhandling him and whoever was guarding him. I think they had Brissett guard him sometimes as well, and he would just overpower them in the paint. So obviously a good redemption game for Russell, Russell Westbrook. He played a lot better. So good for him to have a good game, although they're about to get probably, you know, I think they might get swept by the Sixers. I'm in fact, I'm going to predict that right now. I think Washington gets swept by the Sixers. I really do. I think the Sixers are a fine-tuned, well-oiled machine with multiple, with an MVP, you know, finalist in Joel Embiid. Ben Simmons is an MVP in his own right. Tobias Harris is probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA. They are deep as heck. They have multiple guys on their bench who could start on other teams. I think the Sixers are going to sweep them. Just, just real talk. So, again, disappointed for the Pacers. You know, obviously they've had a lot of weird stuff going on this year with all the trades that have happened where they had Oladipo and then traded him and then got Lavert, but then Lavert was out for a while because of his condition with potentially, you know, having some cancer. Then he gets back on the court. Now he's out again for health. So, you know, again, it's just a weird season for them. So I'm not going to, you know, hate on them too hard. But they got to step it up next year for sure. They they definitely – and oh, Miles Turner was out too. I forgot about that. But they have some talent. Again, I think they really need Karis LeVert. He could kind of be their star. So that is kind of an update there. Obviously, we'll have Philly against Washington, and then we'll have Boston against Brooklyn, the number two and seven seed. And then we'll have the Lakers and Phoenix in round one. And then, obviously, the winner of tomorrow's game between Memphis and Golden State will play Utah in round one. So, excited. I'm excited for the NBA playoffs to finally start. I'm excited for relevant basketball to finally be back. Because, I'm I just again, it's the last month and a half, two months, completely non-relevant basketball. Barely watched it. Kind of an eyesore. Just no one actually playing. So, happy to have real basketball back. A couple other notes in the NBA. The finalists for Coach of the Year, Monty Williams, Tom Thibodeau, and Quinn Snyder. Monty Williams, obviously, the Suns coach. They went from basically winning 46.6% of their games to winning 70% of their games. Massive jump. You could credit that to Monty Williams, or you could credit that to uh, Chris Paul. I think, I think Chris Paul deserves a lot of that credit. He continues to turn around teams and make teams competitive that should not be competitive. Last year, the Thunder should have not been competitive. They should have been tanking. But Chris Paul said, no, no, we're going to be in the playoffs, got them to the playoffs. This was a perfect move to get him on the Suns because the Suns have been a team that I've I've followed for a while now. I love the, pick they've, the picks they've made. I loved getting Devin Booker. I love the DeAndre Ayton pick. I love them getting Cam Johnson. I love them getting Mikel Bridges. They have got all these pieces over the years because they tanked for a while. And I was just waiting for them to make this leap. I was like, when is this going to happen for you, sons? Like, you need, like, I thought they were going to make this leap a couple years ago, and they just could not do it. So, of course, Chris Paul comes along, and he jump starts them, and they have, you know, the second seed in the West. So, I don't think they'll win the title just because they don't really have any playoff experience at all other than Chris Paul. So probably not going to happen for them, but maybe the next couple years they can have a chance. Obviously, Tom Thibodeau sort of resurrects his reputation. He kind of had this reputation for a while as this coach, this overbearing coach who you know, overworked his players, played his players too many minutes, 
you know, wasn't a player's coach, just grinding them down. And he had a couple of poor stints with the Timberwolves. So it's good to see him kind of regain his reputation and show that, hey, coaches can get better too. Coaches can grow. You know, sometimes I think we think we don't realize coaches are players and that they can grow and learn and change as they get more coaching experience. So it's, I, you know, obviously we don't think of them in that way, but they are that way as well. Maybe they're a little older, so maybe the growth isn't as fast. But obviously he has turned the Knicks around, made them a really fun team, helped unlock Julius Randle. Because other than Julius Randle, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of like veteran kind of okay guys, Derek Rose, Alec Burks. I'm blanking on their point guard name. Guy who's been he's been bouncing around from team to team. So congrats to him and what he's done with the Knicks, man. That's it's fun to see. I mean, it's fun for me because I have Julius Randle on my dynasty team. So I'm loving that. And of course, Quinn Snyder, coach of the Jazz. They have the best record in all of the NBA, 52 and 20. So, you know, both all these coaches deserve the award. I think it's definitely between Monty and Quinn. If I have to guess, I'd probably say Monty, just because that, again, going from 46% to 70, that was that's pretty crazy. I'll give it to Monty on this one. All right, most improved player. Right now it's down to three players. Julius Randle, who, of course, had has had a breakout season. Jeremy Grant from the Pistons, who also had a breakout season. And then Michael Porter Jr., another breakout season. I'm going to give this one. I think it's pretty easy. I think Julius Randle's the easiest call here. He has made some, you know, some huge strides this season. He's led the Knicks to a top four seed in the East. He's just all around playing monster ball. Jeremy Grant kind of faded towards the end of the year. Had a good, you know, first half of the season. Second half injured a lot. A lot of uh, shooting slumps. I had him in one of my fantasy leagues, so I was, I was frustrated to see him fade at the end. Michael Porter Jr. Again, sort of the same same story. First half of the year, a little rough. Some injury stuff. Again, wasn't getting played the minutes that he really deserved, I thought. And, you know, I say second half of the season has really come on strong, especially with the Nuggets losing Jamal Murray. He's really picked things up for them. So, But, again, I think for that, the whole entire year, who's really, you know, taken a step to the next level, it's Julius Randle. So, hey, next level, Julius Randle. You like that? <laughs> I'm going to Julius Randle on this one. All right, so. Defensive player of the year, we got Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, Draymond Green. I mean, it pretty much always goes to Rudy Gobert, and it's hard not to give it to him considering, I don't know, the Jazz are in first place in all of the NBA. So, you know, and I'll, but you know, the Sixers, that's tough because the Sixers, too, were one of the top defensive teams in the league this year, but Jazz were one spot better. Actually, no, actually the Sixers were one spot better. They were second, Jazz were third. So that's... You know, you don't think of Ben Simmons really as a defensive stud. He wasn't actually my first thought of people that would be in this, but yeah, I think I think I would probably give it to Gobert, man. The guy just constantly is a defensive leader on the Jazz, constantly leading the league in blocks. It's hard. It's hard not to give it to Rudy Gobert. He's so dominant defensively. Sixth Man Award, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and Derek Rose have been named finalists. I think it's pretty easy. Jordan Clarkson has been consistent all year long. Derek Rose was really good as well, but didn't play a lot of games for, you know, getting injured. 
Joe Ingles, another you know, interesting, the Jazz having two players, Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Joe Ingles actually started a good amount of games towards the end because of the injury to Donovan Mitchell. But I think it's a pretty easy choice here. Clarkson has been just a beast consistently scoring off the bench. Rookie of the Year award, we've got LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton. Anthony Edwards, I think you got to go with it. I think Tyrese has had a lot of ups and downs this year. Has not always been consistent. Uh, Anthony Edwards, I'd say, especially the second half of the year, just dominant. I mean, he hasn't shot the greatest, but very dominant, active. I think Anthony Edwards is a pretty easy choice. Obviously, LaMelo probably would have won it had he stayed healthy, but he got hurt, missed a good chunk of the season. So I'm going to give it to Anthony Edwards. All right, MVP, pretty easy choice on this one. Three finalists, Stephen Curry, Jokic, and Embiid. It's Nikola Jokic. The dude has had one of the most outstanding seasons from any center we've ever had. Just rebounds, assists, three-pointer. I mean, the dude has just been absolutely unreal in all phases of the game. I know it's tough because Embiid, of course, number one seed. But Jokic playing pretty much all the games. Top three seed for the Nuggets. Uh, It's Jokic, 100%. 200%. I'm going to start saying that because everyone's been saying 100%, but I'm going to say 200%. All right, that is your NBA news. We're moving on to the NFL power rankings. I'm giving you my 11 through 20. So here we go. Number 11 for me on my list. Actually, let's go over just to recap. Let me give you my top 10 from last week. And if you want a more detailed breakdown of that, go check out my pod last Friday. I go through more detail on why I chose these 10 teams. But number one, I had the Bucks. Number two, Chiefs. Number three, I believe I had... Did I have... I must have switched it. I did switch it. I had the Bills. Number four, Colts. Five, Packers. Six, Rams. Seven, Seahawks. Eight, Titans. Nine, Niners. And ten, Ravens. That was my top 10 power rankings last week. So coming in at number 11 is the Cleveland Browns, led by Baker Mayfield. Again, this isn't me saying I really believe much in Baker. This is me more believing in the structure of the team. They have done what I think I would do as a GM, which is build the offensive line and defensive line. Their offensive line is one of the top five in the NFL. They've got two amazing running backs that are interchangeable and both honestly could be lead backs. So if any one of them goes down, which Nick Chubb went down for a chunk last year and Kareem Hunt just took over. So they're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to establish that. Their offensive line is, is you know, again, Baker needs protection. He needs a run game. He's not an A-plus quarterback. He's a C-plus, B-minus quarterback. Needs a lot of help. So here's, though, the Browns. There's one way they can screw this up. The one way they can screw this up is by not getting rid of Odell Beckham and actually welcoming back to the team. I have been saying again and again, Odell Beckham is a straight cancer, absolute cancer to Baker Mayfield, to the Cleveland Browns. He's a, he was a cancer to the Giants. They actually statistically lost. The better he did, the more they lost. It's, it's hard to have those sort of statistical things follow you where the better you do, the worse your team does. That's Odell Beckham. If they do not get rid of Odell Beckham, if they welcome Odell Beckham back and get him back in the lineup, I might have to drop them down. 
just stupidity to me that you would even think about keeping this guy around. This guy has been a complete cancer to Baker Mayfield. No surprise that as soon as he was hurt last year, the Browns took off and did way better the whole year. Odell Beckham is a cancer, 100%. Browns, please don't make a dumb move by bringing him back. Please just show some strength of character and smarts and discipline and get rid of that man. If it means cutting him, I don't even care. Take the cap hit. Cut this man. Get him out of that locker room. Get him away from Baker Mayfield. Please, for the love of God. All right, number 12 on my list is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. Again, I dropped them. They finished actually really well last year, 12-4, and so they were high up. But the reason I dropped them so much is I just don't really believe in Big Ben anymore. I think Big Ben is pretty much done. I don't think he has much left in the tank. Obviously, his receiving core is really good. That's the only thing that keeps him afloat. Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, even Juju Smith-Schuster re-signed. They obviously drafted Najee Harris, so they'll have a hopefully have somewhat of a running game. But what keeps them even you know, high enough for me at 12 is their defense. Their defense is stacked, has been for a while. They'll get their middle linebacker back from injury that they lost last year, Devin Bush, who's a stud. Minka Fitzpatrick, they, they have a great uh, – and, of course, they have – I'm blanking on his name, their 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 edge rusher, who's a who's a stud, Mr. Watt, T.J. Watt. So the defense for me is what's keeping them here. I don't know if Big Ben even lasts the season, to be honest. Wouldn't be surprised if again halfway through he is hurt or benched. I think he's pretty much done at this point, which is why maybe they'll have a good regular season, but I don't know. All right, number thirteen on the list for me is the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, had a rough year last year. But Dak is back healthy. That offense should be as explosive as ever. They have weapons galore. CeeDee Lamb, Mari Cooper, even uh, Michael Gallup. You know, again, I think they have plenty of offensive weapons. Finally, Jerry Jones listens to his scouts. They take two linebackers in the draft. They focus in on that defense. So, again, I, I think that defense will be improved. I think another year with Mike McCarthy getting used to that system with Dak. They just paid Dak, so hopefully Dak, you know, he seems he doesn't seem like the type of guy that would be the guy who would get money and then suck. You have players like that, that the only thing that really drives them is the money. Once they get it, they get really complacent and they end up underperforming. I feel like Dak is the type of guy who will continue to perform, continue to better his craft, even if he gets paid. So hopefully he proves me right there. I think he'll improve, the offense will improve, the defense will improve. I think they'll they'll, you know be on the borderline making the playoffs. All right, number 14. This team initially I put actually a lot lower than this, but after thinking about it more, I had to I had to bump them back up. And that's the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins finished 10 and 6 last year. They you know, I'm again, I'm not a big fan of Tua. I'm just going to tell you right there. Uh, players have come out and said from the Dolphins they don't really think he's the guy. I don't think he's the guy. He looks small, he looks slow. Accurate, I guess, but again, his his performance last year I thought was pretty terrible. I thought they just tried to hide him for the most part. They even dabbled in trade talks for Deshaun Watson, which proves again that they're not really fully behind Tua. So I, although I don't really believe in Tua, I do believe in Brian Flores. I believe in what the direction of the organization, what they're building. I think there's a lot of talent around Tua. They added another weapon for him in, I think it was Jalen Waddell. 
again, I, I'm a believer in the coaching staff. I'm a believer in this structure and system and in their drafting. I'm not a huge believer in Tua. That's why I initially had them ranked way lower. But I think they will still finish pretty strong this year with the coaching staff, with the offensive line, with what they're building there. Everything around Tua that's been built, I think, is is pretty solid. So I decided to bump them up to 14. All right, number 15, I have the the Los and almost said San Diego, the Los Angeles Chargers again. I love what the Chargers did on draft day, getting an offensive lineman, building around Herbert. Obviously, Herbert already does have some weapons in place there. So, and of course, Herbert obviously has proven that he is just an absolute stud. So, him with more time, a stronger offensive line. Love that. I think the Chargers defensively will be better as well. Um, again, I think they lost a lot of close games last year. A lot of games they could have won. Went 7-9. But I'm expecting a nice little leap this year. 500 and better as Justin Herbert gets another year under his belt and, and what they built around him. So I'm excited about what the Chargers are doing. I'm going to say 15 for the Chargers. Number 16, this team I actually really like. I was almost going to put them in my top 10. There's only one reason they're not going to be in my top 10, and that is they're in the toughest division in football. The Arizona Cardinals. I really like the Arizona Cardinals. I think Kyler Murray is a great young quarterback. I think he's got room to grow. I think that offensive, the offensive line could use some work, but their offensive room as far as receivers are pretty stacked. Him and his connection with, uh, I'm blanking on his name, we all know him, though. Their top receiver, who they traded for. And they signed J.J. Watt, obviously, to add to that defense, which is already, like, already, you know, better than average. So he's going to add a lot of leadership ability, a lot of leadership qualities there. He's going to be great for them. So, again, they're just in such a tough division. Seahawks, Rams, Niners in that division. I have all three of those teams in my top ten. So there's no way... They're going to finish that much better than 500 if they're going to play all those teams two times each. So I just just by the division they're in, I had to I had to drop them down quite a bit. Plus, other, the other thing is I think Kyler Murray has been struggling. He struggles with he's a bit injury prone to me at this point. That was a concern for me. I had him coming into the league. He's a little small, so I'm worried about him being able to hold up. He's he's had some injury struggles with his shoulder the last couple of years. Just as he's a small guy and he likes to run a lot, that doesn't always last very long. So I'm worried about that. All right. On to number 17. And this is going to be my surprise pick. And I touted them in a different podcast. I think the Detroit Lions here are my pick. And everyone's probably predicting them to be at the very bottom. But I think they are doing things the right way. I think they are building an offensive line around Jared Goff. That's going to be one of the top units in this league. Obviously, offensively, DeAndre Swift. They picked up uh, Jamal. Uh, Jamal uh, was it Murray? No, Jamal. What's his name? I forget. Jamal from the Packers. I he's a great player. I had him on fantasy last year. I think he's going to be really good. Like what they're doing there. Obviously, they lost Kenny Galladay, which is not ideal. So the receiving core is a little shoddy right now, which I'm a little worried about. But you're doing what you need to do. You're getting Goff the help. I think I still think Goff Goff has something left in the tank. He's a guy who needs to be protected. But again, I like what they did in the draft, and I like the direction they're going, what they're building. So I expect a a, a leap, not a huge leap, maybe around 500 for them. But I'm I'm projecting, and this might be something where I'm a little too soon on this. 
And I, I, I tend to be, I have this issue. This is an issue me too. Whenever I play fantasy sports too, I'm always too soon on people. Here's an example, right? Jonathan Isaac, who played for the magic, right? His second year, I'm like, this guy is good. I liked him on draft day. I, I liked everything about him. So I drafted him in fantasy. He sucked. But I knew he was going to be good. But I was just too soon. Next year, he goes off. Amazing. I've had this happen many, many times. Where I take the guy. I'm sort of thinking like a long-term GM. Because if it was Dynasty, I'd take him. But if it's only one year redraft, I tend to be too soon on people. Where the year, either the year after I draft them or the year after that, they go off. And I'm I'm thinking, I knew they were going to be good. Like, I knew it. That's why I drafted them the two years prior. I was just too soon. I might be too soon on the lines here. It might be the year after or the year after that, that they come through with a playoff type season. So I'm very I'm very aware of my tendency to be too soon. I'm worried I might be too soon on them, but I guess I just like the direction they're going. So hopefully it works out with me. Number 18, I'm taking the Washington Redskins again. I think quarterback is a major concern here. That's going to hold them back a lot, but that division is pretty weak. That defense of theirs led by Chase Young is Dudley, and is going to keep them in a lot of games. I just don't know if they have the quarterback and the offense to take advantage of those games, but I'm predicting around 500 season, similar to what they had last year. But if they can get a just decent quarterback play, especially with Ryan Fitzpatrick there, maybe, you know, again, Fitzmagic, he was killing it with the Dolphins. So maybe he has another amazing Fitzmagic season, leads them to the playoffs. Number 19, I'm going with the New England Patriots, mainly because of Bill Belichick. He is a guy who, well, you know what? Honestly, he hasn't won much without Brady. Let's be real. He had losing seasons before Brady, losing seasons after Brady. He needs to prove that he can do it without Brady. So this is this is going to be the year for Bill. Can you do it without Brady? Now, I don't think Cam Newton last year is a quarterback. I don't even necessarily think... If I think Mac Jones is ready, coming out of that pro-style offense in Alabama, he's starting for me week one. I think Cam Newton's done. I think he's been done for multiple years. I've said it many times. I had conversations with friends before last year, them thinking, them saying, Cam Newton's going to work great for the Patriots. I said, no, he's not going to work. He's done. I was right. Cam Newton was pretty much atrocious for them, other than maybe two games. And you could say, oh, well, he got COVID or blah, blah, blah. No, he is done. He is a quarterback who basically can run the ball, and that's it. So you'd have to build an entire power rushing team just based on him running the ball. I would not be surprised, and I would consider starting Mac Jones week one over Cam Newton. Cam Newton's done. He's, he's done. The reason I'm going to give this the Pats the number here, though, is because of the potential of Mac Jones starting a B they just went crazy in free agency signing Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, signing defensive guys, getting guys back 
who used to play for them previously, like a Kyle Van Noy from the Dolphins, has come back. They're getting uh, some players back who sat out last year due to COVID. So they're getting some defensive players back. They're getting a lot of players back. They went crazy in free agency. Again, I think Mac Jones is one of the more pro-ready players. If not, maybe he doesn't have the huge upside of some of these other guys, but is definitely pro-ready. Again, like I said last week, three of the top coaches in the NFL, Belichick, Shanahan, and Sean Payton were all trying to draft Mac Jones. So Mac Jones, I think, is good. I really do. Again, the upside, especially the rushing ability, isn't quite there. I know that's pretty sexy in today's NFL, but Tom Brady is winning Super Bowls, and he's very immobile. So obviously you can still win Super Bowls with immobile quarterbacks. But again, I think they, they've added enough talent. They've added receiving talent. A lot of receiving talent. Oh, my gosh. The two, two tight ends you can throw the ball to. Kendrick Bourne at receiver. Defensively, they're getting a bunch of dudes back. So I could actually see them you know, finishing higher than what I'm saying here. But, again, I think Cam Newton is, is the big issue. And whether or not Mac Jones is ready, that's going to be the, the big kind of question mark, the big we'll see. If Mac Jones is pro-ready, then they could finish higher than this. All right, last but not least, the team that rounds out my top 20 is the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders... I like that they added defense on offensive line. I like that. They got a couple safeties. They needed secondary help real bad, although I I feel like they did not address their defensive line, which right now it's a bit disappointing. You've got a a decent run stopper in Clem Farrell. You've got a decent pass rusher in Max Crosby, but that's pretty much it. They do not have a lot of help. I think you got to prioritize going after the other quarterback because you can have a bad secondary if you have good a good defensive line because they're going to make your secondary look good. So I still like that they drafted defense. They got a great steal with their their second round pick, who probably should have been. A, they probably should have drafted him in the first round and then the the offensive lineman in the second round. The reason the Raiders are so low though, and I will criticize, is that they continue to do this weird thing where. I think they fall in love with players. As a GM, you don't fall in love with players. You fall in like with players. You have to be able to move off players. You can't be so in love with them that you're willing to just ignore reason, ignore strategy, and throw it out the window. And I feel like the Raiders, to me, are this emotional franchise that falls in love with players. Especially this offensive lineman, who they could have dra- they could have traded back, got more picks to draft anyway, but they were so in love with him, so infatuated, so attached that they felt the need to draft him in the first round. They do this every year. Klein Farrell, they could have traded back to get Klein Farrell. They could have traded back to get Darius Hayward Bay. They could have traded back to get rugs, but they continue to fall in love with players and just, we have to have this player. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. There are a lot of players in the NFL and even the players that are impactful aren't that impactful because it's 22 guys. This isn't the NBA. This isn't 
I have the chance to draft LeBron. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, draft him. Or I have the chance to draft this really high upside player. We're going to take him, even if maybe he'll go later, right? Like, this isn't the NBA. And I think the Raiders don't understand that. They think it's the NBA. They think they've got to just draft this high upside dude and take chance because maybe he's next LeBron. Fallen like. If you move back and someone else takes an offensive lineman, oh well. It's just one offensive lineman. You have plenty of other players that can make an impact. It's not that big a deal if you miss out on that offensive lineman. Be smart. Trade back. Get good value. Don't overdraft. And they continuously overdraft. There's another pick I think they took in the third round that people are saying we're going to go to the sixth round. It's like, dude, do your research. Find out where these guys are supposed to go. Trade back. But, again, it's the Raiders' mentality. They're very emotional. They're very attached. I think as long as they continue to do this, they're going to continue to struggle as a franchise. So they're in my top 20, but I'm not super confident. They'll be good because they have Derek Carr and they have some stability there. They have some offensive pieces. They, they do have some pieces. They've drafted decent. But, man, I feel like the, 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 the potential they've had with the amount of picks they've had, early picks, they have woefully underperformed with the, with the type of picks they've had over the last few years. Because they just, again, they fall in love with dudes. They We have to have this guy. We can't lose him. It's like, dude, it's okay if you lose him. Plenty of other dudes in the draft. Not a big deal. Make sure you get guys at good value. Unless you're drafting a quarterback. I mean, that's maybe one of the more understandable ones because that's more of an NBA move where, hey, we should, we get this quarterback, could alt, you know alter our entire franchise. Those are players I understand, even if you know maybe they really deserve to go in the second round, you took them in the first. I get it. It's a quarterback. Major upside. If it hits, your whole franchise turns around. But any of these other players are not that valuable. You can wait. You can make sure that you get them at good value. And if you don't get them, if someone happens to get them before you, oh well. There's plenty of other players. Now you have more picks to play with. You could trade some of those picks in to trade back in to, a, to get somebody else. Not a big deal. Don't need to fall in love with these guys. All right, so there it is. My top 20. Let me go over those teams real quick. We got Broncos, Steelers, Cowboys, Dolphins, Chargers, Cardinals, Lions, Redskins, Pats, Raiders. That rounds out my top 20. Last but not least, guys, I'm going to end this with a little bit of a rant. Now, I've been listening to podcasts this week. I'm reading articles because I like to I like to keep up in the sports world. There has been multiple sportscaster, podcaster people. I was listening to one the other day, and it's actually a podcast I really like called The GM Shuffle. And they're actually, for the most part, really good. And I was listening to their commentary on the Tim Tebow pickup. And I I was in the gym, actually, and I actually had to stop working out and sit down. And I was so angry, and I I literally had to... I literally wanted to shut off the podcast. I was 
I was upset emotionally on what these guys, their take on the Tim Tebow acquisition was. I was absolutely disgusted by what I heard. Disgusted, guys. These guys on the gym shuffle were like coming up with stuff that I was just, what universe are you living in? You have no idea what you're even talking about. They were saying how unfair and how terrible it is that Tim Tebow would dare to take the roster spot of somebody more deserving. Okay. Um, This is America where you can apply for a position And if you get the position and you do well, then that's, that's what's, that's the point. These dudes on the GM shuffle want effing handouts. I'm sorry. Tim Tebow, as we know, is one of the hardest working players we've ever seen in this league. The dude, honestly should never have been playing starting quarterback. The stats say it. You watch him. You know it. The fact that the dude was still able to start, have winning seasons, win a playoff game with the lack of true quarterback talent he even had is just shows you the work ethic of this man. And if you follow Tim Tebow outside of football, Tim Tebow is one of the just admirable people you will ever I mean the dude is constantly in in hospitals visiting children doing stuff for charities and organization if there's any person that you would look up to and be like man that guy is an example of what being a human being is supposed to be it's Tim Tebow so these guys have the audacity to, to, to cry about some other player losing a roster spot. If that other player does like really deserved the spot, they would have beat him out for it. But they don't offer what Tim Tebow offers. Not as not in leadership, maybe not in skill, maybe not in work ethic. I was reading an article about how the Jags coaches were blown away about how good his shape Tebow was in, how skilled he looked. The dude works his ass off. The dude almost made the major leagues in baseball after playing football for like most of his life. No, a normal person doesn't can't do that. So give me a break on all this handout, kind of socialistic almost garbage from these. Oh, and these guys had the Tim Tigo. Tim Tebow is such an ego. This is just, he's just inflating his ego. Are you kidding? Do you know anything about Tim Tebow? Do you follow this guy in any way about how generous this man is, about loving and caring this man is, about all the things this man does off the field to care for people? He likes playing football. He likes playing sports. He works his ass off to play them. What's the problem? Is it because he's a Christian? 
I, I can guarantee you that's part of the reason. Because those people, these these people on GM Shuffle, I don't know. I don't know if it's jealousy. I don't know if it's Tim Tebow being such a good person that exposes them for being what dicks that they are. And we all are. I don't know what 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 about Tim Tebow makes these guys have so much animosity saying that Tim Tebow has this ego and how he is he's like just doing this at it. He's doing this because he loves playing sports. He loves competing. He loves working out. He loves the game. I just couldn't believe. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Just disgusting. Absolutely disgusted by the judgment of these people who have probably have no idea. Don't follow Tebow at all outside of football. Have no idea what this man's about. And again, how many times have we seen teams sign players Cowboys with Jason Witten as a recent example. NBA players will sign, and they're basically coaches. They don't play. They're past their primes. They're done. But they offer something as far as leadership and coaching in the locker room. That is a part, that's a part of it. If you're a great player like Odell, but you're an absolute cancer, you're not going to get a job. No matter how skilled and talented you are, the opposite is also true. If your skill is diminished or you're not that good, but you have amazing leadership abilities and leadership qualities, you make everyone else around you better, you're going to get a job even late in your career because you provide something. You provide value. Even if maybe it's not on the field, you provide value. Tim Tebow provides value. And so these guys were acting as if like, oh my gosh, so terrible. So we should just basically no teams allowed to sign anybody who's past their prime because that's they're taking a roster spot away from someone who apparently deserves it more. No, there's more to sports than just being able to perform on the field. Tim Tebow has all the qualities outside of playing on the field, and he might still have qualities of being really good on the field too. Apparently he looks in phenomenal shape, and the dude works his absolute tail off. We also see this too where a lot of players oftentimes go back with old coaches. Carson Wentz going back with Frank Reich. Casey Hayward goes back to Gus Bradley. Players follow these coaches. Coaches have certain players they like, who they'll bring back. I mean, we're not surprised. Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow won multiple national championships together at Florida. They have a connection. They have a history. We see this all the time. This is not new. So I am just stunned. Now, personally, I don't know if he's really going to do that well on the field. But decent chance. Been out of the league for eight years. 33 years old. Decent chance he, he he doesn't do well. I like to think that there's anybody who never say never. It's freaking Tim Tebow. How 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 many times has the dude made the miraculous happen that should not have happened? And there's anybody that you you kind of put your hands up and say, hey, you know what? If somebody can do it, it's probably Tim Tebow. There's a lot of other players I would be like, nah, no, no chance. Tim Tebow, come on. 
The dude is a walking miracle. Constantly. Why not let him see what he can do? If he's not good, maybe they cut him halfway through the year and open up that roster for somebody else. It's the NFL, people getting cut left and right if you're not performing. I see nothing wrong with this, this signing. I think it makes complete sense. You have nothing to lose if you're the Jaguars, everything to gain. You're trying to establish a new culture there. Tim Tebow is a culture setter. There won't be any competition with him playing quarterback at all. So you don't have to worry about that kind of dilemma where people are calling for Tim Tebow to play if Trevor Lawrence doesn't start off great right away. This is a no-brainer move. And I, I challenge any of these analysts who, man, have these crazy opinions about how it's just not fair. It's not It's not fair. That they signed Tim Tebow, somebody else could get that spot. Oh, it's not fair. Shut the F up, you freaking babies, dude. I'm sick of people in this world today just all up in their feelings and all up in the, everybody deserves a chance. We should just give everybody money. We should just give everybody everything they deserve. We should give everybody a trophy. Bruh. Get out of here with this trash. Oh, man. It just... It just irks me, dude. I just... I am rooting my... I'm going to be rooting my butt off for Tim Tebow to prove these dudes wrong, to make them eat their words, and maybe they'll shut up and never talk about it. But knowing, knowing them and knowing the animosity towards Tim Tebow, especially because he's a Christian, which, I mean, the Bible talks about how... Christians are, are persecuted in that way and are are treated uh, in that way because they live differently than uh, most worldly people. You know, I'm not surprised that he'll continue to get more and more hate, as all as all Christians will, to an extent, as they try to stand up for what they believe in. But anyway, that's my rant for the day. Let's go, freaking Tim Tebow. Let's prove these doubters wrong. Again, hope you enjoyed my power rankings. Hopefully you enjoyed my NBA takes. I'm excited for the NBA playoffs to start. I'm watching the game tomorrow. I'll be watching the games on Saturday. Probably going to have no life here for the next couple months because I'm going to be watching a lot of basketball. Yes, freaking please. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening, and I will see you on the next pod.